Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast, where we'll be trawling through the latest seasons of the show episode by episode, because I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N, Hart. I thank you very much. This week we continue into the home stretch of season six by looking at episodes 15 and 16, 28 Pranks Later, and the times they are a changeling. So without further ado, I think... What's in the prop today? It's... An episode title. I mean, it's not exactly a script, but it'll do. 28 Pranks Later was first broadcast August the 13th, 2016. It receives exactly the same IMDb score as last time. Six out of ten. And the synopsis reads, Rainbow Dash's excessive pranking gets out of hand. The ponies decide to give her a taste of her own medicine. Story by Megan McCarthy, who is one of the most crucial figures in the show, at least up to this point, with a script by F.M. DeMarco, who just did this episode, it would seem. So let's hope it's a good one. Uh, All right, I've already tipped my hand. Let's, Let's hope it's better than the cart before the ponies, at least, right? So having criticise the the generally good-to-great Ed Valentine for delivering a pretty shallow plot-led piece of boilerplate kids' telly. Seems that, if anything, that's even more likely to be the case this time. And sure enough, from the intro on, it is broad strokes. Compliment one, cute use of the bear. Compliment two, good storyboarding. Remember Griffin the Brush-Off? I like to think I'm not that slavishly attached to continuity, but when it comes to character continuity, I think that's a little different. Remember, oh no, 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 you don't prank Fluttershy. Which I assumed was understood, but uh, this episode just leads off as if it totally wasn't. I'll give it some leeway. For now. Although Rainbow Dash comes in so hot that... uh, We really are gearing up for abrasive Rainbow Dash here. Story's pretty simple. Rainbow Dash keeps pranking everyone. It gets annoying. They want it to stop. Uh, So they do a mysterious mare do well turn around and uh, prank her en masse. And then she learns her lesson, kinda. As the episode proper begins, reassuringly, there are some good chuckles. Twilight's well-meaning hectoring about not pulling pranks on people who might be upset or might not understand the joke is cut off at just the right point by a a whoopee cushion. (laughs) Which, I don't care what Applejack and Rarity say, (laughs) that's pretty funny. (laughs) However, this intro is pretty confusing. Um, It ends, ironically, with Twilight saying, uh, I don't think she understood what we meant in reference to... Uh, Rainbow Dash flying off to to prove that she can actually pull off a prank that is original and can make everybody laugh. Um, Only problem being, that joke falls a little bit flat because um, what are they saying? Rarity and Applejack 
do seem to be more concerned with the lack of effort put into the jokes. I think what they're groping for here is more or less the Griffin the brush off. Don't play pranks on people who you know it will upset and who aren't going to be able to take it in their stride. Uh, Griffin the brush off used that to blossom into a, a character-based episode. This is basically just that plot point for an episode. It seems to me here that Megan McCarthy had a funny title and she got someone in to write around that funny title, which he did, but a bit like last time, it is more of a plot than it is an actual story. But I will give it credit for actually clarifying the message and having Rainbow Dash sort of appreciate it in a way that feels true to her character in the end. She is resistant to it. And she does have one last little rug pull to her credit to illustrate that she's not just, oh, and I will never do pranks again, because it's Rainbow Dash. Of course she will. There are good ensemble performances by all of the main cast. It is nice to see more input from Twilight, actually, in this, who seems to have fallen into the background over the last few episodes. And while they do feel a little bit off in this sort of slightly aloof, callous approach, the main characters are at least written as being intelligent this time. DeMarco doesn't insult the characters, but he does use them to serve a plot rather than have the plot do things to the characters, as it were, which is generally the approach I prefer. I feel a concept in general is probably best used as a, a jumping off point for things to grow organically from, which isn't really the case here. There are funny moments in here, for sure. I will say off the bat that it is some of the funny moments that save this episode from being quite the uh, hollow shell that uh, the previous episode was. And some imaginative, atmospheric locations, particularly towards the end, where they really play off the, the idea of Ponyville as a ghost town uh, pretty well. However, there are things that this episode actually does worse than the cart before the ponies. I get the nagging feeling that there wasn't actually enough plot to warrant the length of the episode and so this is quite repetitious in places and it seems to me that there is a misplaced belief that having something repetitive beyond a point will actually make it somehow funny again. I mean, is that a Family Guy thing? Is it a Stuart Lee thing? I, I don't know. I mean, that can work, but this does not feel necessarily like the format for it. I say that the repetition is somewhat deliberate because they literally use the same gotcha. sound clip over and over again, like, like that in itself. The sheer cumulative weight of all of those pranks clustered together is just going to be funny in itself. Uh, and it isn't. <laughs> And in a similar vein, it feels like something far more interesting could have been done with the quote-unquote undead ponies at the end of the episode, because they all react to being discovered in exactly the same way. Cookies, they say. Cookies. Cookies. Gotcha! Cookies. Lisa needs braces. Cookies.
cookies. Hey, who turned out the lights? Now, I love Stuart Lee. Never thought I'd be saying that on this podcast. And maybe that's the point. <laughs> and it isn't just the repetition that's the problem. If we look at the original prank montage, none of them are really character-specific. Now, this all feels very familiar. I think I had a similar complaint about Newbie Dash. And it is something of a shame that there are two Rainbow Dash-centric episodes relatively close together that have a bit of a going-through-the-motions vibe. It is slightly telling as well that although he gets the broad general strokes of the characters, I'm not entirely sure if FM DeMarco gets the relationships between some of them. I'm not entirely sure he actually saw Griffin the Brush off. Pinky here is is trying to make the point that, oh, no, no, Rainbow Dash's pranks are fine. They're really funny. And yet it was actually Pinky herself who gave the the monologue, effectively, that Twilight did earlier this episode, back in Griffin the Brush Off. What also doesn't seem to make sense entirely is that Rainbow Dash's prank on Pinkie Pie is shown in-universe to be less imaginative, uh, less cruel, and less funny than the others. Uh, For no particular reason. I'm not sure why he chose to moderate it for Pinkie. There's no real motivation for that. Pinky probably would be able to take it more than the others. And maybe I am being a bit too rigid in terms of what I feel <laughs> interlopers can do with my characters. But maybe it's just that I feel FM DeMarco isn't using the characters enough. He isn't using their differences enough. So it all feels a little bit arbitrary. The other suggestion that he might not understand the... Uh, the overarching roles or functions of some of the characters is illustrated by the Cutie Mark Crusaders. A, because despite their frequent appearances, they're not actually used vocally very much. They're more a sort of literal vessel for the plot point of the episode to be carried. But also they're suddenly Philly Scouts, which seems a very conventional kids' telly trope for younger characters in a show. Philly Scouts drug peddlers. Yeah! Perhaps, rather like Mysterious Mare-Do-Well, I feel the fans might take particular issue with this one because the extent of the retribution, I know that seems a severe word, but uh, is not perhaps justified. Because let's be frank here, the prank that Rainbow Dash is planning to play on everyone, which is this bizarre rainbow dye cookie thing, That's not exactly extreme. I mean, unless she's made them herself and not actually checked whether there's any toxins or anything in it, it's not exactly terrifying. Whereas to have the entire town, to a pony, mob her like a George Romero film while she is visibly terrified doesn't quite seem like tit for tat, does it? Fortunately, there is actually a, a follow-up episode to this called PTS Dash, when the rest of the main six are forced to realise their part in her mental turmoil. Can you ever trust us again, Rainbow? I don't know. I want to, but it feels like something's broken in me. It's like you, you come back home, but you never arrive. Okie dokie Loki. This episode does have its charms. 
There's some cool design elements in it. It sounds like a, a fun premise, but I don't think it really explores that very well. It rounds off fair enough, but it is basically not much more than its title, and I just feel it could have been fleshed out a bit more. What could they have done with it is the question. Aside from not letting a pitch-meeting gag dictate the course of an entire episode, I think it perhaps would have improved matters not to start Rainbow Dash off at Mach 10, just prank, 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 gotcha. and have a degree of elevation to it. Maybe if she had been egged on in some way, like she had some pranks that were well-received, and then she went too far, rather than just going too far right out of the gate... Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. Yeah, the characters feel a bit off, but they're not abused to the degree they were in the previous episode. It finishes okay. There are a couple of good laughs in it. And I do like some of the the framing and the atmosphere later on, but at the end of the day, it's very sort of threadbare and myopically plot-centric. So, yeah, I, I... Unfortunate placement after the previous episode, this, but it probably does benefit slightly from the comparison. Slightly. 4.5. So, yeah, having two what I would consider subpar episodes back to back, you and I are probably ready for a bit of a break. Which is why it seems baffling that on some masochistic slash sadistic whim, I have decided to double down and uh, add some bonus filler content um, by reviewing a previous episode that reminds me very much of the one we've just discussed. So let's compare and contrast by going back to the tail end of 2011, season two, the Rob Renzetti era, if you want to consider it that, to look at the mysterious ne'er-do-well. Is this some kind of cruel joke? Never seemed to be a particularly popular episode. It was the first script written by Meriwether Post Williams. Well, let's see how she gets on with this animal collective. (laughs) Anybody get that? So yeah, overhyped, poorly mastered Naughty's albums aside, The Mysterious Mare-Do-Well by Meriwether Williams was first aired on November the 26th, 2011, and conjures up a 6.2, probably the lowest rated episode of season two, um, and only slightly higher than the previous two episodes we've covered. So how does it hold up? With the benefit of hind legs, as they say. The synopsis? Rainbow Dash's athletic skill and prowess are earning her much recognition from the citizenry of Ponyville. However, she soon finds her skills being trumped by a mysterious masked pony who some have dubbed Mare-Do-Well. Spoilers, first up. Uh, yeah, this isn't a great episode. Also spoilers, if for some reason you haven't really seen beyond the first couple of seasons, Meriwether Williams' contributions get better fast. She has some fantastic scripts under her belt. She wrote Wonderbolts Academy in Season 3, one of my very favourites, and has had a hand in a number of other really solid episodes. Dragon Quest, Bats, and honestly, as I'm sure I've mentioned a gajillion times before, 
I don't think Spike at your service is that bad either. Now, approaching it in this rather odd way, as in going straight from a season six episode to a season two episode, uh, what struck me first and foremost was the difference in the direction and the pacing and the way the shots are composed. The direction in this episode by James Wooten is fantastic. Lots of engagingly framed shots. You're always seeing things from a different vantage point, be that through a, a camera lens or or seeing the crowd receiving mare-do-well through the arc of the hot air balloon that Rainbow Dash is crumpled up in. It's always engaging to look at. There's lots of, there's lots of shot variety and some very ambitious shots too. Do we call them shots in this context? I don't know. Someone who knows far more about the technical side of this will be able to tell me. Most notably, there is one of the first 360 round the character shots, which is something that is technically impossible to achieve in Flash. It is a, a flat 2D medium, but they give it a good stab anyway and do pretty well. However, all of this dynamic, pacey realisation does come at something of a price. By and large, character gestures and reactions are a little broader and less expressive. There is an overuse of the season two banana mouth and a lot of particularly squidgy OTT reactions to things that I'm not hugely keen on. It follows the kind of uh, screwball pacing, which I quite like, into the emotional world of the characters, which I think somewhat treads on the drama in places. Lots of pouting and exaggerated grimacing to denote emotion. Now, that's not strictly the case. There's a lovely little scene where Rainbow Dash is reflecting about her situation on the on the cloud later in the episode, where there is a suitably varied palette of expressions to accompany her wrestling with herself about the situation. And while, of course, I'm going to treat this as a negative because of my own personal preferences for story types and character depictions. It is a sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other situation. Because this episode is big on the spectacle and overall has a very light-hearted comic tone that doesn't really lean into some of the darker elements of the story. Not that it's a tremendously dark story to begin with, but... Yeah, as I've indicated already, I've picked this episode for a compare and contrast because it basically does the same thing. Rainbow Dash goes too far and her friends and the rest of the town basically conspire against her to play a trick that encourages a sense of humility in her, or is at least supposed to. I do think this episode is far more successful in making the ramp up to... Rainbow Dash's extreme behaviour far more logical, far more believable. She is initially actually taken aback and a little bit bashful. Or should that be dashful? Boo! About the adulation she receives as a result of saving some of the pony villains. But gradually, it, it goes to her head. One of the downsides is that rather like 28 Pranks Later, it's probably a little too gradual. The first sort of 15 minutes of the episode are basically a series of disaster set pieces. It does outstay its welcome, the sort of one too many I feel to be actually useful. 
But what makes this feel preferable, by and large, to the prank montage in 28 Pranks Later, is that the point of them is the reactions of Rainbow Dash changing to each one slightly. And so we get a very logical progression from modesty and surprise to overconfidence and arrogance. However, in some ways, this episode is the inverse of 28 Pranks Later, as it starts much better, but really falls down at the end, I think. Now, as I mentioned before, the main backlash to this seems to be how unfair and a little undue it is for the rest of the main six to be tricking Rainbow Dash like this. And while Rainbow Dash's response at the end of 28 Pranks Later did indicate a suitable bit of sort of reticence and denial, she wasn't just going to roll over and and take the friendship lesson lying down. Here, it feels far too neat. Twilight just comes in, Hector's says, you've been doing this wrong. This is the wrong thing to do, Rainbow Dash. And Rainbow Dash says, yep, my bad, won't do it again. And what makes this considerably less satisfying is that the rest of the main six are overlooking something crucial in what Rainbow Dash is doing here. In 28 Pranks Later, what Rainbow Dash is doing is purely for her own enjoyment and it can come at the cost of others. Here, it seems to be entirely overlooked that Rainbow Dash has been saving lives all episode. But the group doesn't congratulate her for this. They fixate on her attitude to it. Now, to be quite honest, I am prepared to say that I would rather somebody was saving lives than practising their modesty and not engaging. Because it seems to be an all-or-nothing proposition that they're offering her here. This episode would have made a lot more sense if Rainbow Dash was doing something impressive that wasn't so benevolent and altruistic. Like she was doing really cool stunts that potentially endanger the town. That are really awesome, but are becoming something of a nuisance. That would be far more logical. So yeah, in many ways, the message of this one is far worse than 28 Pranks Later. But it is a worse idea realised slightly better. The character interplay is cool. The, the, The main six are used very well here. No one is really out of character. Applejack is nicely apple backbone-ish. When the rest of the group are sort of teasing Rainbow Dash, Applejack has the clincher, the most logical and least cruel of the observations, which is, Merdewell is modest and humble. She lets her actions speak for themselves. You've got to admire that. Pinkie Pie's little comic moments are also excellent in this. She's on good form. So for a first script, I think Merriweather Williams uh, indicates a far better understanding of the characters and their relationships than F.M. DeMarco, with some exceptions. Not really Merriweather's fault that at this point Granny Smith is pretty bare-bones as a character. She is mostly played as being old the stereotype, rather than the sort of stubborn but headstrong character she would eventually become. She has an ear trumpet and her bones audibly creak as she moves. She was mostly used for throwaway gags, as is the case here. 
Also, while Rainbow Dash doesn't really do anything out of character here, she does go a bit far into the realms of stupidity, which isn't generally a Rainbow Dash trait. She can be impulsive, she can be insensitive, but she's never really been depicted as being unintelligent. Certainly, to the show's credit, is that none of the main characters, Spike included, are depicted as being witless comic relief. There are a couple of side characters that qualify. However, even Snails is revealed to have abilities beyond expectations, as we may soon find. The specific example I'm thinking of is her damming the bridge with her hoof, then congratulating herself by using the same hoof to pat herself on the back. It does kind of work as a comic extension of what's actually happened to her through the course of the episode, so uh, I'll give it a pass. It is slightly unforgivable that Rainbow Dash, in all honesty, delivers the line, It's a sort of cheap kids cartoon beat that I don't think Meriwether Williams would ever rely on again, thankfully. I actually thought in this episode someone said, ghost and I, that stuck in my head as being a particular demerit for all of these years, but no, they don't. It's not quite that extreme. So yeah, this is a dynamically produced episode that ramps up convincingly in a way 28 Pranks Later doesn't. It does fall into something of the same hole of repetition, but it never goes to the extremes of 28 Pranks Later, and it doesn't feel quite as much like it's papering over a a hollow centre. However, the fundamental conceit, the idea behind the episode, and the message and the way it's articulated is poorly conceptualised. It does make the main six perhaps come off as more envious than I think was the intention, and the conclusion is more trite. Nonetheless, I think on the whole, it's the more solid piece of telly. 5.5. High praise, eh? It's not over yet. But now to greener, or at least more crystalline pastures, for the times they are a changeling. It was broadcast on August the 20th, 2016, with a story by Kevin Burke, Michael Vogel very busy this season, and Chris Doc Wyatt, with a teleplay by Kevin Burke and Chris Doc Wyatt. It fares pretty well on IMDb. 8.2 out of 400 ratings. Synopsis? When Spike travels with Twilight and Starlight back to the Crystal Empire to visit Flurryheart, yay, they discover the entire Empire in a panic due to the reported presence of Changeling Spy. It's the first contribution by Kevin Burke and Chris Doc Wyatt to the show. They will make more this season and uh, sporadic contributions for the rest of the show. Now, re-watching this, it took me a while to process that this is actually the first appearance of a changeling since season two. Now, they're used more extensively in the later seasons, but I'm amazed it took them that long to come back round to it. I mean, yeah, okay, they had the parallel universe appearance in season five, but but they never had a storyline built around them. It is to some degree a shame that we don't get a 
speaking Queen Chrysalis role here. She does make a brief appearance, but that's not really the point of the episode. Another thing I should note, which also lends the lie to another misconception, it is another highly regarded Spike episode. Because this is a Spike episode, first and foremost. This season has treated him really well. A few words about the intro. I honestly thought that Starlight Glimmer played more of an active role in season six. It made me realise that she's not actually been in this season that much. And unfortunately, I'll get a criticism out of the way to start with, she's not used that well in this episode. Um, Even worse is the reappearance of Sunburst, who I'm glad to see making a return from from the season premiere. I think he deserves more than he gets. It's a great voice performance and he's an interesting character with a potentially very interesting dynamic with Starlight. In all honesty, I'm not actually sure what Starlight's purpose here is. I, I perhaps get the impression that she had a more active role in the original script because at the beginning, there's this idea that she's uh, she's worried about leaving behind her friendship lessons in, in Ponyville and missing out on some progression. And then that kind of comes back right at the end. But otherwise, she's, she's very passive in this. Twilight is far more important. And I don't know that Starlight or Sunburst are necessarily needed here. They don't play much of an active role in the story, which is a shame because they're characters I, I, I really like. Though... At this point, I feel that Starlight's character as a reformed pony is still being pinned down. She feels a little more Twilight-esque here. She's a bit more open and brighter and more innocent, where I think, maybe I'm misremembering this, maybe I'm rose-tinting it because I'm fond of the character. She reaches maturation in the show as a sort of slightly aloof, sardonic outsider. She doesn't have Twilight's innocence, and I think that's a really effective counterbalance. As I think I've mentioned before, her, along with Trixie and a couple of others, do provide this nice degree of outside commentary, a different viewpoint on the same lessons, and broadens the show's emotional palette, I think. But yeah, bit of exposition to open things off, as seems to have been the way with a lot of episodes recently. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I, I was won over in like the first eight seconds of this episode. Immediately, you have a lovely music sting with the train riding across the landscape. Then you cut to Twilight talking while looking through the window with a really cleverly done reflection. Then it pans straight across to Starlight. And I was like, yeah. It's like a hat trick of winning elements for me. You can kind of tell they're going to put a lot into this one. The basic plot is that the Crystal Empire is on high alert because there's a changeling about. Even Princess Cadence and Shining Armor can't trust Twilight at first. She has to do her sunshine, sunshine, ladybugs awake thing. It's a believable level of scrutiny and paranoia, I think, for a sort of military outpost, which is in some ways what it is. But ultimately, Spike, high on his own adulation, as has been shown multiple times now, he's a a bit of a name in the Crystal Empire, and he milks this for all it's worth. But he ultimately 
bumps into a changeling who's something of an outcast from the hive and clearly doesn't like the way that Chrysalis and the other changelings do things. And it's Spike's job to convince the other ponies that he's not actually a threat and could be a friend. What should be noted is I think that synopsis probably makes the story sound like it's going to be quite severe, certainly in the establishment of the of the paranoia at the beginning. Megan McCarthy uh, wrote the first Changeling story, uh, Cantalot Wedding, back in season two, and there was much more of a sense of uh, of danger and threat at the beginning, with them passing through the security wall and, and all of this sort of stuff. I get the impression if she was managing this one, it might be dealt with in a slightly more severe Hollywood way. It is played a lot for humour here. The extent of the paranoia of the of the townsfolk, but being a single episode, and also because it is an episode based on sort of the polarisation of prejudice, that kind of makes sense for it to be almost a comedic extreme. I mean, in a sort of South Park way, the crystal ponies are used as a a shorthand for hysteria at the beginning. No one is around. But when Spike makes himself known, he is swamped. And then when someone suggests that he might be a changeling, everyone disappears and he is literally dropped. It is an episode that does rely on the rest of the characters outside Spike and Thorax the Changeling being myopically prejudicial. But in 22 minutes, I don't think they could have gone into much more detail than that. And I think also adding the baby as a threatened element at the beginning, while it does seem a bit weird that Sunset initially suggests that, oh, they might be after the baby for no particular reason. The child, as the defenceless infant, well, in this episode at least, can be seen as sort of creating this extra charge of defensiveness. So, deliberately or not, it's quite effective shorthand, I think. By and large, I'll say, I think this is a really good episode. It does have flaws. I've, I've, I've been through most of them already, actually. There is one more I'll cover. The use of Spike in this episode is excellent. Thorax is fundamentally likeable without being cheapened. I think in a lot of other kids' shows, what would have happened is there would have been someone who looks like a bad guy, but is sort of all sweetness and light, all one-sided niceness. But that's not true. He's fighting against his urges for a lot of the episode and it is really quite affecting like it's obvious that when he's first invited to see the baby in when he's disguised as a pony that he's genuinely you know adoring the child it's like oh he's got a soft heart and it's clear but then something's awoken by the amount of sort of love radiating and he sort of monsterizes for a moment and sort of puts his hands over his mouth and sort of runs off apologising, stammering over his words. He is still, to some degree, a threat. But he knows this, and he's trying to work past this, and everyone else has to help him, ultimately, in a similar way. And I think 
perhaps the the highlight of the episode though is the way Spike's arc is treated because there's two things going on the first is him getting over his own fear and the second is his buying into the praise he receives based on this grossly trumped up image of him as Spike the brave and glorious and who he actually is because he surprises himself by his cowardice several times. On two separate occasions this episode, he tries to stand up for Thorax, but is ultimately cowed and joins the mob, effectively, out of fear. This understandably just really upsets and disillusions Thorax and almost throws the ultimate aim into the toilet. Like so many of the best episodes built on character tension, the interactions between the two... Spike's expressions. Oh, they, the animators do love to render a, a, a biped, don't they? It frees them up so much, like with Rainbow Dash. But, you know, even with Thorax, the animation and his skittering, uncertain movements, it's almost like he keeps wanting to disappear into himself. And these little faltering, almost Fluttershy-esque steps he takes. It's beautifully done. Great voice acting performance as well. The theme of the story, the lessons learnt by Spike, both about himself and about Thorax, are really well conveyed through the final song, which acts as both plea and self-reflection. I don't think it's a particularly memorable song, but it, it certainly does the job of what it needs to do in the episode. My only complaint, really, is that compared to so many of the other songs in the show... The actual sort of choreography, if you will, of it isn't that interesting. There's usually a load of visual imagery uh, attached that makes the memory of the song more pronounced. I mean, maybe it is less that the song isn't that memorable and it's just the way it's framed isn't because it's mostly just sort of Spike in the spotlight delivering the message of the song to the, the mob of ponies. While this certainly does suit perhaps his sense of isolation, I think they perhaps could have pushed the boat out and varied it a little in terms of its realisation. But it isn't a big issue. And yeah, I think him being in the spotlight with all of the others in the dark, certainly it certainly does say something as an image. While Twilight stepping up and saying, I'm so proud of you, you know, thank you for making me realise this. That does kind of ring true to Twilight. I do feel it's a little bit quick, the way that Shining Armour and Cadence are like, well, that was a great song. My prejudice has vanished. It's a little bit convenient and a little bit rushed, but look, they can't spend that much time focusing on each of the individual characters' reactions. And yeah, it, it has concluded the way it set it up in that outside the, the small cast of main players for the episode... The others are used to represent a mass, a, a sort of a, a wall of prejudice in a way. And so that's, you know, it's, it's fine. This wasn't a Cadence and Shining Armour episode. And somewhat strangely, the, uh, the final comment is Starlight's. Harking back to her conversation with Twilight at the start of the episode, which, you know, marks for, for creating a nice bit of symmetry and wrapping up both arcs fairly well. How many times have I said arc in this? I just don't know her. 
sorry. But it seems really surprising when she reappears with any contribution, especially right at the tail end of the episode, because her and Sunburst have just not really had an active role. Sundry observations? Twilight is written really well in this episode. Her final kindly speech to Spike is, is, is very Twilight, as I said. But also, even just the side detail of, uh, of her getting super excited when she finds out that Spike has a pen pal, or so he says. And the mention that she has her own special pen pal stationery. Ugh, it, it's, it's so Twilight. And Kathy Wesluck, I've said it before, I'll say it a billion times. What a fantastic voice actor. What a kind of childlike charm she brings to, to Spike. Even when he's bragging, just that sense of sort of hubris and uncertainty, like he's putting on a role, he's trying to find his way in the world. It really brings him to life. I, I think it was probably the right decision to lean into the comedy with the Royal Guards, having them so easily swung one way or the other, and buying entirely into the, the Spike mythos at the beginning. They all seem to speak in this sort of very broad 1950s delivery. You heard him, man. They can change into anything. I don't think you could go too serious with this one in terms of the background details in a single episode because I think I think it would rob focus from the the emotion of the central encounter, which is Spike and Thorax. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. Overall, I really like this episode. The character writing is great. It's a, it's a really good Spike episode. Thorax is a very welcome introduction, as is the reintroduction of, of the Changelings as a whole. Crystal Empire is, as always seems to be the case, just wonderfully realised. And while uh, the wrap-up is a little bit quick, it's, it's nothing fatal. Um, I do think that the biggest stumble of the episode is in the poor use of Starlight and Sunset. They're having not been in the show for such a while and yet being introduced as such a significant pairing. Well, I mean, certainly Starlight being introduced as a significant character earlier this season. To have them wasted in the background in this episode with a sort of attempted arc, it does feel like a waste. But ultimately, though, uh, this is a really good one. Um, I'm really racking my brains whether to give this an 8 or an 8.5. I'm going to give it an 8. We can always reevaluate because I'm very fond of this one. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? Right, well, thank you for joining me, folks. Uh, nearly time to wrap up again. If you'd like to talk about anything to do with the episodes we've covered or anything pony related at all really you can email at allplottedout at outlook.com all lowercase all one word all plotted out at outlook.com or reach us on the facebook page at all plotted out but for the time being take care and always remember a changeling can change maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than i gave them credit for 